Good morning. Good to be back at Jerusalem Church. This is an iPod. Who has one of these? Two people? What do you folks do? Okay, all right, a couple more, all right. Well, the iPod has really changed our culture in a lot of ways. Apple's iPod has 70% market share uh, with MP3 players. Uh, They are easy to use with an attractive, sleek design. Just kidding, I'm I'm not a salesman for Apple, but um, they're really awesome. They're very, very helpful, easy to use. Behind this incredible product is a set of values that Apple considers really important to their business. Now, do you think that the iPod, hopefully you know the product well enough, reflects the following values of Apple, uh, Apple, the company? We believe that we're on the face of the earth to make great products. Think that's reflected in this? I think so. Here's another Apple value. We believe in the simple, not the complex. And if you look at these, there's not that many buttons, like two on this thing. Uh, Very easy to use, okay? Uh, Another one, we believe in saying no to thousands of projects so that we can really focus on the few that are truly important and meaningful to us. One more, we don't settle for anything less than excellence in every group in the company, and we have the self-honesty to admit when we're wrong and the courage to change. The iPod is the number one selling MP3 player of history. It is easy to use and convenient to the listener. Apple doesn't market everything, but what they do market, they are very successful at, excellent and innovative. Apple's values show up in their products. A few clear and simple core values can really help an organization become most effective. Core values influence everything in that organization. So what does Jerusalem value? The leading elders have worked very hard at answering that question. Values are really important because they influence everything at our church. They influence what we do or what we don't do. They influence what we change and what we never change. Everything is shaped by what we value and what is most important to us. Core values aren't meant to include everything that we value or else everything would be awash. There'd be too many. But core values are meant to summarize and focus on the most important. We have arrived at 10, each helping us lead people to find their greatest joy and pleasure in Jesus Christ above all things to to the glory and worship of God iPods reflect the values of Apple. We want everything at Jerusalem Church to reflect what is most important to us. So clarifying our core values helps us remain focused, faithful, and fruitful. One article I read said, A church's external identity is the image and message it projects to those outside the congregation. A healthy church's external identity should be a natural expression of internal identity. How people experience Jerusalem church will absolutely be influenced by what we value inside. 
The article also said, the better a church knows itself and why it exists, the better it connects with everyone who comes in contact with the church. And so my aim is to help unify this church body as its primary leader. I mean, Jesus Christ is, but I'm under, under the authority of Jesus Christ, and I'm here to help lead and to unify this church around a God-focused vision and strategy and to help encourage and equip you to accomplish this vision and strategy. So understand why core values are important. They help us stay focused on what is most important to us and they help us accomplish our purpose. That's why they're important. Each of the the values that we're going to go through this morning could be a sermon series in and of itself. And so we're just going to get a bird's eye view this morning and just just whet the appetite a little bit of what our values are. We'll hit on five today and five next week. Number one, Jerusalem Church values biblical truth. We believe that all 66 books of the Bible are inspired by God and authoritative for our lives. We believe that God speaks through the Bible, what we call special revelation. Everybody say that, special revelation. That is God's communication through his word. Now, what does it mean for the Bible to be inspired? A little tricky word, a little theological word. Think of it this way, okay, a little, little imagery for you. That's it. If you can understand what I just did, you can understand inspiration. Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. God divinely and authoritatively exhaled the Bible through writers. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1.21 that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God carried the authors along and worked through their minds, their emotions, their personalities to script the word of God. That's inspiration. That's what it means. The Bible is more than ancient literature. It's more than a New York Times bestseller. It's the breath of God in writing. Psalm 119 verse 160 says, the sum of your word is truth. Jesus prayed to God, your word is is truth. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and active. So all of God's word is true, it is alive, and it is at work. Now, I have an ongoing list of over 30 reasons why I believe in the Bible. And there are copies in the back, as I understand, for you to pick up on your way out if, you, if it would be helpful to you. If you can add something to my list that I have missed, I will give you a prize. And it will go on that list, all right? We must defend truth at this church. Paul called the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of the truth. In other words, our church should support, it should uphold the truths of God's word. Are we like the Bereans of Acts 17, 11? They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Do you receive the word of God with eagerness or apathy? Do you examine the scriptures or do you escape from the scriptures? 
Now, I'm asking you, join us in reading through the Bible in a year. We're making it painfully easy for you to do that. It's in the bulletin every week, and it will be for the next year, helping you stay on track. Now, if you're like, oh, no, I've missed like seven weeks, just jump right back in. It's not law. It's grace. You just jump right back in and and complete it with us. We devote considerable time in our worship services to reading and preaching the Word of God. Why? Because we value God and what He has to say. So we're going to put it up in our worship services. Sunday school exists at this church because we value biblical truth. We believe the Bible has something to say. We believe God has something important to say, and we value Him. Is the Bible essential in your life? We want our church and our homes to be soaked, drenched in the Bible. Because as Paul wrote, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. When you study the Bible, it trains you. It equips you for life. We value biblical truth because we value God. And we want people to encounter God through the scripture, through the Bible. Jerusalem Church values passionate worship. Our worship here needs to be fitting to the glory and majesty and worth of our God. If someone gives you $5, you're you're grateful. If someone gives you $5 million, you're extremely grateful. You're excited to receive that. Pastor John Piper helpfully explains the essence of worship like this. Worship is a magnifying of God. That is, it is an act that shows how magnificent he is. It is an act that reveals or expresses how great and glorious he is. Worship is all about consciously reflecting the worth or value of God. God is infinitely valuable. So our worship should passionately enjoy and express the worth of God. Here's my definition. Worship is spirit-led, intentional concentration on and enjoyment of God in the heart and mind, which inevitably spills over in outward expression of committed service and communicative reverence. And you're like, what? All right. In other words, the Holy Spirit leads us in worship. He helps us focus our hearts and our minds on God, and we enjoy Him in our emotions and in our thoughts. We think, we reason, we logicize in worship. Worship is driven by spirit and truth, not mindless emotion, not affectionless fact. This enjoyment of God, it overflows in service to God and outward expressions of reverence. Jesus said in John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Biblical truth and a passionate spirit are both essential in worship. Worship is not liturgy. Liturgy can be done without spirit and truth. Worship cannot. David sang in Psalm 63:1, Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now imagine traveling a hundred 
um, 100, not feet, miles, there we go, 100 miles in the Sahara Desert with no water. After you get in a little bit, you are going to be craving water like crazy with this intense thirst. And that is the same desire, same type of desire and craving that our souls should have for God in worship. Paul wrote something in Romans 12, 11 that applies to worship. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Do not be slothful in zeal. Our worship should never be lazy. Never. Never lethargic and boring and somehow droning on because we're just, this is something we always have to do. It should be genuine. It should be enthusiastic. That kind of worship is really important at Jerusalem Church. He said, be fervent in spirit. And Paul uses a really interesting Greek word that means boil, boiling up. So our spirit should be boiling up with intensity for God. Now, no matter what, because some of you I know are probably like, that's just not my personality. Whatever your personality is, I believe that if genuine worship is happening in you, it will show in some way on the outside. You don't have to be wild, okay? Some of you are not wild people like me, all right? You don't have to just be knocking people over and flinging your arms. That's not you. So don't be fake or false. Just be you. But I think disinterested and lazy faces in worship may just reflect a disinterest and laziness of the heart. Sometimes tears in worship. Sometimes joyful smiles. Closed eyes. Amen. We used to have a guy growing up, Dave Cool. Amen. Right in the middle of my dad's sermons. Feel free to do that. Feel free to do that if it's in the spirit of worship or even lifted hands once in a while. We don't need to yell. We don't need to knock people over. That can be very distracting, all right? And just because we're enthusiastic doesn't mean that we're actually worshiping. Passionate worship begins in your heart. You worship when you crave and enjoy God in truth. How awesome would it be if all of us in worship panted for God like the deer pants? For the streams of water. We value that kind of worship at Jerusalem. Our next value. Jerusalem church values focused prayer. Can we just say God answers prayers? He does. He does. Prayer is one way to joyfully pursue God. We need to focus our minds and hearts in prayer. But also uh, focus on praying strategic things. Two examples of focused prayer from Scripture, Matthew 5.44 and 9.38. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you and pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Those are strategic prayers. They're, They're going in a particular direction and so we pray for those strategic things. And we must never stop praying strategically in church or at home. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Jude said to pray in the Holy Spirit. I'm weak in prayer. I'm weak in prayer. But some of you are strong in prayer. And you can help us grow. 
As a church, we need to grow in focused prayer. I believe that if we are strategic in our prayers, that God will do some amazing things in us and through us because we're intentional and we're thinking about these things and we're praying for these things. And then when God answers, we're there to say, we've been praying for that. He absolutely showed up and answered that. We praise him and glorify him because he has heard us. We need to love our community by praying for it in focused and strategic ways for local government, for school administration, for teachers, for police, for firefighters, for businesses, for organizations. We need to pray for our community and our community needs to know we're praying. Uh, This is a way to increase joy in our community and we need to pray for each other in focused ways. You know, if people don't know you, At a deep level, they don't know how to pray for you and support you. They don't even know how to love you in a lot of ways. When will we be transparent and open and humble to people so that we can instruct people, here's how you can pray for me because I'm really battling with this. Oh, that's that's when things are going to get good. That's when things are going to get good. I think many of us are absolutely scared to obey the scripture of John 5, 16, which we looked at in class today. Therefore... Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Are you scared to obey scripture in that way? And to keep your prayer request to yourself. I mean the real ones. God, grow us in prayer for your glory. How we pray is important to the health of this church, and we pray because God is in control of all things. Jerusalem church values sovereign grace, sovereign grace. The Bible teaches it, and our church history esteems it. God is sovereign. Handel's Messiah says it well, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about what that means, but here's what I think he's saying. Praise God that he reigns supreme over the universe. He is the most powerful being and he has sovereign power over everything. We are to rejoice in the sovereignty of God, to delight in it. God has a good and gracious plan that he is carrying out with divine will and power and authority. He is sovereign over the universe, sovereign over humanity, sovereign over salvation, sovereign over our actions, sovereign over everything. Twice the Bible refers to God as despotes, despotes, a despot. In other words, God is the master and supreme power over everything. Acts 2.22, rather, says that Jesus was, quote, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God has a definite plan, a predetermined purpose for everything, and he autonomously, autonomously works all things according to the counsel of his will. Did you know that Acts 4.27 and 28 says that Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, and the Jews did whatever God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. Ephesians 1.11 talks about God's purpose and how he works all things according to the counsel of his will. We rejoice in the sovereignty of God. And we rejoice in God's grace at this church. God is gracious 
God's grace is powerful to save the worst of sinners. Not because they have been good, but because of faith in the goodness of Jesus. Nobody seeks God, the Bible tells us. Rather, God seeks and saves the sinner because he wants to. Everyone who is saved is saved because God chose to extend his sovereign grace and apply it to them, and the entire Bible teaches this truth. It's everywhere on the pages of the word. Therefore, it's precious to us. Sovereign grace is precious to us. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 helps us understand sovereign grace. It says, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through grace according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God's sovereign grace blesses us in huge, massive ways and is meant to lead us to praise Him. There's a lot of theological thought these days, a lot of books being written that lower the sovereignty of God and exalt in the responsibility and choice of man. And when you begin to do that, you begin to rob God of the fullness of His glory. You, you end up spurning God's sovereign grace instead of delighting and praising His sovereign grace. We must be very careful, church, to watch our theology. We rejoice in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace, grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We rejoice in grace Because God sent his only son to the world, to us, to live a perfect life on our behalf, to die a brutal death on the cross, and to conquer sin, Satan, and the grave by raising to new life. He is alive, he is sovereign, his grace is real, and he is still changing people. God is precious to us, grace is precious to us. We want to be a gospel-centered church, not a man-centered church. We want to be a church that exalts and cherishes the sovereign grace of God because it glorifies Him. Because it exalts Him. The last core value for the morning deals with discipleship. Jerusalem Church values leadership development. We want to love people by helping them mature spiritually. We want to lead people to treasure Christ most and in so doing, train and equip them to lead others to treasure Christ most. That's leadership development. Mark Driscoll's one of the pastors I enjoy listening to from time to time. He's a pastor of a huge church in Seattle. Um, and his testimony is just flat out incredible. It's amazing what God did in his life. He's Irish, and throughout generations, the men of his family were godless and violent drunks known for being actual pirates. Actual pirates. Mark says of his heritage, quote, We robbed liquor ships filled with wine. We would fight, we would drink, we would beat our wives, and we would break our children. That's what the O'Driscolls did for generations, end of quote. And then God's grace broke the chain And he converted Mark at age 19. 
And as far as Mark can tell, he's the first one in the family line that trusts in Christ and follows him in the family history. Watch what happened next. Mark said, quote, And then something wonderful happened. One of the greatest joys of my whole life. After God saved me, I was praying for my dad. And God did the most amazing thing. God the Father saved my father. My dad became a Christian. God's grace stopped the legacy of godlessness. He drew a line and he said, from here on, the Driscoll family is going to be marching to the beat of a different drummer by changing the heart by his grace. God saved Mark and then used Mark to lead thousands of people to Christ, including his own father. Mark said, and I'll tell you, the thing that is better than being the first link in the chain is being the first link in a chain for a while until your dad gets saved and makes you the second link in the chain. All of a sudden, your dad's praying with you and your dad's praying for you and your dad's going to church and your dad's reading the Bible and your dad is a new man. And you're a new man because the father has adopted you both as his son. That is why Jerusalem cares about developing leaders. Every man, every woman, every child has influence on other people and can lead people towards satisfaction in Christ. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is leadership development. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe All that I have commanded you, make disciples and you are at the same time developing leaders. If you are a follower of Christ, do you know that God has chosen to save you to make you a disciple-making disciple? Christian, you can't afford to just sit there. You have to engage someone For the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he saves you in part. So you to, for you to enjoy him and then to lead other people to enjoy him. Moms and dads, you have a critical role to do this with your children. No matter what age they are, to lead them to treasure Jesus Christ most. Who are you training right now to become a follower of Jesus Christ? Expansion and growth and training are God's idea. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, they are leadership development. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Your role as followers of Jesus is to be equipped for ministry and to minister and to use your gifts for the building up of the body at Jerusalem Church. How many of you are close enough to Jerusalem Church, involved enough that your gifts are being expressed to build up this church in the Lord Jesus Christ? What ministry are you doing to build Jerusalem Church? Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ 
And when each part of the body is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, dear Christian, we need you at Jerusalem Church. We need you to help us build and grow with your talents and calling. We want to develop and deploy people at Jerusalem for the building up of the body here and in our community. We need to love people enough to help them become what God is calling them to become. Isn't that something that you want to be a part of, that you want to be close to, this exciting work of developing people? And if you're a new Christian or haven't been going to church very long, this next challenge that I'm about ready to give is not really for you. So just listen and know that this is directed to those who have been in the church a long time and who have been around Christianity a long time. This is for the, the church-going Christians of many years. Listen up. The writer of, this includes me, the writer of Hebrews rebuked people he knew really, really well. Some say the book of Hebrews is a sermon. So he loved these people pastorally, intimate with them, just wanted to see them thrive, and that's why he writes what he does Sometimes the most loving and helpful thing to say is what uncovers a problem and then gives a way to work through it. That is what the Bible does. It exposes our deepest needs and problems and then it gives us hope and it gives us a way to work through it. Here's what he writes in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 and what I challenge you with today. About this... We have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Here's what he's saying. His friends had enough time to mature in the faith, to be teachers. But instead of being spiritually mature, they still needed someone to teach them basic truths. In faith, they hadn't grown up. They were still babies, unable to digest real solid food or deeper biblical teachings. They lived on milk or the basic principles of God as immature children. And the author tells them they were unskilled in the word of righteousness. After all these years of you sitting in church, are you still a baby? Are you still nursing on milk? Don't you want to eat steak? I love New York strip steak. Now, I love milk. Don't get me wrong. I love milk. But uh, steak and being able to be nourished by something richer. All right? Now, if you're like zing... That is me. I am a spiritual baby. Now, my challenge to you is, in the grace, sovereign grace of God, what are you going to do to change it? 
What are you going to do to grow and invest? We're all growing. None of us is where we should be. Amen. So we have some work to do. What are you going to do? Spiritual maturity takes desire, commitment, and work. It takes the sovereign grace of God, absolutely, to awaken in us a desire to grow. Some of you could be incredibly effective leaders, spiritual leaders, but you're still nursing on milk. Aren't you ready to eat that steak? Our church wants to help you. We don't want to condemn you. We want to help you, come alongside of you, help you grow and flourish. We don't want to discourage you. We don't want to beat you down. We don't want to make you feel foolish like you don't have a place here. This is a safe place to grow. This is a safe place to say, I'm not where I need to be, but I want to be where I'm going to be. Will you help me get there? And we say resoundingly from the leadership of this church, absolutely, we're in your corner to grow you and to help you. And so some of you might still be thinking, okay, but I'm just not a leader. And that feeling that you have doesn't mean you're not a leader. Everyone influences others in some way. But that feeling in you might mean that you're not a faithful leader. Everyone here has influence, kids included. Kids included. Paul said something incredible in 1 Corinthians 11.1. That even a spiritually, uh, what I believe, even a spiritually trained and mature three-year-old could say. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me. Do as I do as I follow Jesus. I'm just trying to follow him. Why don't you follow me as I follow him and and, uh, we'll we'll grow together. If you follow Jesus, imitate him with everything that you have. Uh, Be faithful in that because you will influence others if you do that. Your leadership will just soar. You don't need a title to lead. You don't need position to lead. Just stay close to Christ and you'll lead. Now, I'm going to risk offending here. Maybe I've already offended you. Um, Maybe God will use what I'm about ready to say in someone's life in a unique way. So if this isn't for you, fine. If this is for you, Amen, may God use it. I think I can defend this biblically. That God is calling in a unique way men to rise to lead spiritually. In their marriages, with their kids, and in their workplace. And the men of Jerusalem need to take God's unique call upon their lives much more seriously. Imagine how it would impact your wife and your kids and your marketplace if you were on fire for Christ. He just burned inside of you where you had to express love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Imagine if the Spirit was just calling you to do some amazing work by just being faithful to lead spiritually, to give a model, to be able to say to your family, imitate me as I follow closely and imitate Jesus Christ. Some of you are absolutely growing. You are. And it is so beautiful. Christine and I talk about what's happening at Jerusalem Church with people saying, we're seeing God work in ways that I don't think I've seen before in my life. And yet some of you remain spiritually lazy You're not in the game. You're just playing around. You could be dynamic if you took your spiritual growth more seriously and just committed to growing. 
God would use that and would grow you. And you would experience unfathomable riches of his mercy and grace in your life. Along with a handful of other men, I'm committed to helping you grow like you've never grown before. There is planning going on behind the scenes to help men grow at this church and to develop at this church. We're thinking it through. It's on our radar. We want to see you flourish and grow. It's desperately needed here. And I beg you men, I'm pleading with urgency for the glory of Jesus Christ to grow up. Grow up spiritually. We need you. Do not fear because we're in this together. Jonathan needs to grow up. I beg you, this is a safe place for you to grow as men. This is one of the best places to be as a man who wants to be a better man and leader. And children and women, oh, we haven't forgotten you either. Uh, We are committed to your spiritual growth and leadership as well. Trust me. The iPod. It changed our culture and uh, the values of this little uh, thing or of Apple is reflected in this little thing here. Well, we want to not change things electronically. We want to change things spiritually in our culture. And uh, in order for this church to really break loose, I mean this, in order to really break loose, we need to know why we exist and what is most important to us. Slowly and surely, these things are becoming more clear for us. I haven't been here eight months yet. And so a lot of this stuff we're working through, foundational stuff to communicate to you. It's important work. And I believe that the clearer we are on why we exist in Penryn and what we value the most, the more effective and God-glorifying we will be. And just know what an extreme privilege it is for me to be part of this team. Uh, I'm energized. Christine and I are encouraged to be here And uh, we want to be part of what's going on in this journey. And so I just want to end with with the words of Todd Beamer. Does that name ring a bell, Todd Beamer? He was uh, killed in the plane crash in Somerset, Pennsylvania. A man of God, a man of courage, a man of strength. And this is what his last words, at least that we know of, were. Are you guys ready? Let's roll. Father in heaven. We give you thanks for your truth, how clear it is. And, and uh, this church is ready to be faithful to your word, ready to be faithful to follow the lead of Jesus Christ. Uh, God, we need you to communicate to us uh, where it is we, we need to go. And we need to know more clearly what it is we're supposed to do. And it's an exciting time because we're just building upon this foundation of Scripture, upon the foundation of the leadership of Jesus Christ, And we're building. And so we want to build faithfully. And and we want to be excited about the work that's going on in Jerusalem Church. And God, I can't make the church excited. That's something your Holy Spirit has to do. So I pray for your sovereign grace to rain down from heaven upon us. And to help move us in unity in the spirit of Christ with passion and skill to move us forward for your glory, for your fame, for your name in all the earth. Help us to make disciples and to lead people to find their greatest joy and pleasure in Jesus Christ above all things to the glory and worship of God. 
You are a good father and you are with us. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so we don't need to be fearful if we need a good swift kick in the pants. God, we don't need to be fearful of that because you are with us and you'll get us through and you'll grow us. This is part of the spiritual growth process, God, where your spirit applies the truth to our hearts, not only individually, but corporately as a church to move us in the direction of glorifying and worshiping you. So I pray with earnestness that you make that happen in our church. In the Christ's name we pray, amen.